Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to answer your questions about EMF. So with me today is Brian Hoyer, who is one of the major consultants for my new book. And I'll let him describe his expertise, but in, in his training, but in my uh, view, he's literally one of the leading, if not the leading expert in shielding in the United States. And uh, I've connected with lots of experts in the field and have been somewhat disappointed. And we'll go into those in detail. Uh, but he has his own company called shieldedhealing.com and he's in the process of training other experts like him that can use this knowledge to help you uh, guide you and your family towards protecting yourself from the dangers of EMF that I've been exposing for some, so long now. And I'm greatly, deeply great uh, appreciative of Brian's assistance in, in helping me compile the book to make sure it was accurate. And he's largely responsible for a large number of the um, recommendations we have in chapter seven, which is how to protect yourself and your family. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, it's great to be here. So it might be best to, before we start answering the questions, to uh, share your story of how you got interested in this and what your training experience is and how you've compiled it and how you continue to learn because one of the things that impresses me with your strategy is that the, unlike some other, <laughs> other companies out there who, who do this, or not companies, but organizations, uh, they, when a, a person they're consulting with continues to have problems, they, they don't really acknowledge them and use them, utilize them as a tremendous biological meter or tool to help understand what's going on, but you're doing that. And as a result of the, the clients that you're, you're taking care of, they, they're many times teaching you and forcing you to investigate more carefully and to think through this, which is such a, an unusual um, characteristic to have, at least in my experience. So many people just do their job and they're over and like some of these organizations and, you know, if, if you're still having problems, it's your problem. It's not theirs. So, so why don't you describe the process? Because I think it's really intriguing. Yeah, well, I approach this from more of a health practitioner standpoint, and uh, my first training was really uh, with the Nutritional Therapy Association, so I became a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I was seeing uh, clients in California at the time, and took some continuing education up in Seattle with Dr. Klinghardt and the Klinghardt Academy, which I highly recommend if you're a health practitioner to, to dive into that. Yeah, and if, we, if I can just insert here, I mean, your, your level of expertise has progressed so much. And Dr. Klinger, of course, for anyone who studied this field, is recognized as one of the leading experts in it. But you're so good, you're so good at it now that he actually hired you to shield his office in Seattle. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I've been lucky enough on this journey to, you know, advance fast and quickly enough to be able to offer what I consider to be the best options as far as uh, following his protocols, you know, and in uh, what he believes is uh, exactly what you need for his patients to heal. And he sees some of the most chronically ill uh, patients in the world. They've seen like 20 doctors before they go to see him. And that was the thing in one of his lectures that really struck me in my practice was a lot of my uh, clients that I was seeing we'd have them on a leaky gut protocol or on this digestive protocol or, or we would be on whatever protocol it might be. And they would need to stay on the supplementation for a really long time. Or if they got off of it, uh, the leaky gut would come back or, or the symptoms would come back. But as soon as I started implementing some of these EMF shielding techniques, according to Dr. Klinghart's protocols, 
Uh, I saw vast improvements. People didn't even need the supplements anymore. They were just healing leaky gut by just sleeping in a shielded room every single night. And I kind of realized that, you know, stepped back from that and said, well, what is going on here? And realized that, you know, we're, we talk so much in the natural health world about, about food and diet and exercise and all of that's so important. And especially thinking about it from this ancestral perspective, what have our bodies evolved or, or been created to uh, develop in and what, what's, the, what's the ancestral diet, what's the ancestral way of movement and on all those sorts of things. But the question that hadn't been explored much is what's the ancestral energetic environment? What, are, what is our body perceiving now that we have all these modern exposures to uh, these pulsating currents and voltages of electricity in a vastly different frequency range than we've ever been exposed to in the history of mankind. And so approaching that whole uh, gamut of energy from this more ancestral perspective, I realized, you know what, it's not, all, it's not only what we put into our body, but it's also what we put our body into in this environment that needs to change. And if we can mimic what the ancestral environment is, then what happens is I found out we all these dormant healing responses just kind of wake up and the body starts to heal itself. And, you know, I've got some stories we'll probably get into a little bit later about uh, customers who after shielding, they've had some amazing recoveries and uh, the body just knows what to do. The innate intelligence is profound. And I just am surprised by it more and more every day of what we see after people are sleeping in these shielded spaces. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, uh, you were able to come to my home too and help me create a shielded space for my own bedroom. So I'm very uh, appreciative of that. But it was Klinghart uh, who actually motivated and catalyzed my writing this book and kind of woke me up. I knew about the dangers of EMF for probably 20 years, maybe 15, somewhere in that range where I realized it was an issue, but it was only an intellectual acknowledgement and I didn't do anything practical to mitigate that, but kind of intellectually slapped me around a little bit and woke me up and, uh, and I started investigating more carefully and it really was, was catalyzing my journey too. So we're really great. We're both really grateful to him for pioneering this, this area because it is such an important contribution as we're going to explain in more careful details, uh, quite, quite, uh, in, in a little bit, but why don't you continue with your uh, how you got, achieve your training and your level of expertise? Because it is quite extraordinary. I, as I said, I don't believe there's anyone out there that who has can give better targeted, customized device for individual shielding uh, challenges. Yeah. So you know, when once I realized this was a big issue, I started looking for people out there that were professionals, and there's many different organizations. And, uh, and trying to find out what kind of training I wanted to do. And I didn't find anybody that really approached it from a, a medical standpoint or a holistic health standpoint. It was all more electrical engineering and um, from a more electrical building standpoint. And I really wanted to, you know, I felt like I kind of had to forge my own path in that way. But then also there's one uh, type of stressor that Dr. Klinghart really stressed, and that was uh, geopathic energy coming up from the earth. And I, I couldn't find anybody in the United States that was teaching that and how to mitigate it. So I found a naturopathic clinic in Austria that I trained with, and, uh, and they helped me understand that. And then I started selling some of their shielding products and decided that, you know, after some third-party testing and, and about a year of working with them that, uh, there's some less expensive and superior options for that. So all along the way, I've kind of been uh, realizing that, you know what, the the way that we need to do this and approach this is uh, we have to, you know, recreate that ancestral environment in the bedroom. And uh, that just wasn't something that I found as uh, being done anywhere in the United States. And to a certain extent, even in, in Germany and Europe and, and, and places like that. So, you know, it would, the kind of consensus would be like, okay, we'll just lower it as much as possible and we'll, we'll do this and then we'll, we'll take the readings. And if they're lower, then we're good. We've, we've done our job and there's not anything else you can do. Um, but from a health practitioner standpoint or, or a medical standpoint, you're kind of trying to uh, 
make the list of possible causes for the person's symptoms and, and their illness. And then you are trying to rule out this as a factor. And I didn't feel like with the current recommendations at the time, about five or six years ago, that I could rule out EMF as a factor when there's still residual issues, res resonances and, and different types of EMF that are existing in that person's space. And, and people were coming to me and saying, look, I've, had, I've hired five or six different professionals to come in here and they haven't figured out what was wrong. I'm still feeling something. And I would go in there and I would say, well, this is still really high. We need to get that down even lower and to the standard. And then, you know, eventually they, they do that. We, I work with them and things, you know, go to where they're supposed to be uh, as far as the readings on the meters and everything. And they start to have improvements. And that's what I'm looking for. And I don't want to just abandon somebody after an assessment. I, you know, my goal with, with myself and my team that I've trained is we're going to be the last EMF first, hopefully the first and the last EMF assessment that you'll ever need because we follow through with the recommendations uh, that we give people and we help them guide them through the entire process until they've got that optimized sleeping environment. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about the priorities later, but we've come up with a priority system on where you need to definitely shield the most uh, to get the most bang for your buck. And then also like, um, you know, what to worry about, what not to worry about when it comes to your EMF exposures and what you can do when you are exposed. Okay, great. We'll get in that, into that in a bit. Um, now, I think we should name an organization because it has some, some recognition. It's the building biologist who first started in Europe and then and I think it was in Germany or Austria and then, then um, developed a United States, presence in the United States. So you've are not certified by them, but you, t I believe you took some of their training or at least uh, maybe you can share that and share how your approach differs from theirs because they, they are the most well-recognized and the ones that they, uh, uh, an individual would typically approach if they're seeking guidance in this area. Yeah. So I, I highly respect the building biology uh, organization and uh, it just didn't seem like the right fit for me and in, in the way I wanted to approach things. I think they have helped many people uh, over the years and um, have a lot of research and, and uh, you know, just they're, they're very, very knowledgeable about, about, uh, about many aspects of this. But, you know, I kind of also wanted to be able to offer solutions for lighting and geopathic stress. And so that's where I steered away from going the uh, building biology training route. I, you know, I was aware of their courses. I knew that they were the most popular, but I've learned that sometimes the most popular thing isn't always the, the thing that attracts me the most to, to uh, different types of trainings. Um, if I, you know, if I was attracted to the most popular thing, I would have been become a, a conventional medical doctor to, yeah. to help people with their health, you know, and uh, we know all the pitfalls with the, you know, modern medicine and everything. So, um, you know, I, you know, I decided to do the more natural nutritional therapy route and, uh, um, you know, if I had a choice now, I would probably go more osteopathic, naturopathic, you know, environmental medicine type of route if I was to become a doctor or something like that. But I feel like I'm really in my wheelhouse now. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so the training that I did from Austria, um, you know, I feel like that kind of set me up to be able to help people in a, in a different way. And then since then, I've just kind of, you know, I kind of have this viewpoint that if I find something better or something that's more true, I have to change my mind, whether that's a product, uh, an organization that I start with or whatever. I just need to keep upgrading so that I can help people more. And that's my ultimate goal is to help people with a high level of integrity and to be able to uh, do the best for them and give them the best shot also of convincing any skeptics in their house to actually follow through with some of these solutions. Cause the way I view it is when I, when I go into someone's house, I may be the only person that they're ever going to hire to test uh, this EMF. And it's probably, if there's a skeptic in the house or somebody who uh, doesn't believe in this or whatever, I can usually convince them. I have a very good track record. There's still not been one skeptic that I've left behind after an assessment. Uh, because we, it's a very experiential thing that we do. We put the meters in their hands, there's clicking, there's noises, you can hear it, you can see the numbers going up. 
and you can see them reduce when we use some of the solutions that we bring with with us for demonstration purposes but um, it's you know it's the one shot that we have to really get that family protected and you know I have three daughters and a baby on the way right now so every single assessment I do I act as if uh, it's my own family you know and I really do care about the people that we help and, and that's that's why I do this because I want to be able to uh, make a difference for people and I, I understand that this might be their one shot to to get protected in this way and it's so so important uh, because, especially for the children because it's it's eight hours every single night where they could have this healing therapy where you're awakening these dormant healing responses and you don't have to get them to eat their vegetables or <laughs> or or you know take take your Dr. Mercola children's multivitamin or do anything all they have to do is go in their bedroom and sleep in that shielded space and it's eight hours of healing therapy every single night and that's what I really want I want to protect the children and and the vulnerable in society and to be able to do it in a way that's going to make the biggest impact yeah well my deep congratulations to you because you just described sort of the perfect storm of an individual who has taken the basics and this is true for most people who go to medical school too you learn a certain base of knowledge but then it's your responsibility once you have that knowledge to go out into the real world and apply it and modify it and change it and continue to learn so that you can serve the people that you're treating and you're doing that in a profound way and in fact leading leading the effort in the trenches so congratulations so i think we with that uh basic uh Primer, I think we can start answering some of these questions because as we answer the questions, we're going to go into specific details so people can really understand what's going on here. So along those lines, we compiled about 50 questions uh, on our site. We allow people to ask their, ask their questions and then put, them, put them together. And uh, I thought they would serve as a really great platform for you to illustrate the principles you've learned. So the first question is, I'm planning on building a prefab house but want to block EMFs. What materials can be used to make the house, make sure the house or at least the top floor where the bedrooms will be safe. So I think it's, you know, it doesn't matter if the bedrooms are in the basement or in the first floor or the top floor, that is the most important room. So why don't you talk about the priorities here of in your home, what needs to be addressed and, uh, and then you can get into, into specifics, but really it's the bedroom that is the single most important area because that's when, if you can create the shield and environment, then you're essentially replicating the way that their, their ancestors lived about 200 years ago because at least uh, in 1889, we first started having electricity and that's 130 years ago. So you have to go back in even another 100 years before that, we had telegraph wires going up and static electricity being experimented on. So it wasn't literally until the 18th century, uh, you know, prior to the 18th century that we really had an electrically neutral environment. So that's what, that's the goal and intention of your practices and your efforts, your remediation efforts is to create that pre 18th century environment. Yeah, it is. And so basically with, with the recommendations that, that we give the, the priority system is kind of from, the perspective of when does your body need to be in the parasympathetic state and that's your rest and digest state versus the sympathetic state your fight or flight response and so there's three times really when your body is in uh, main primary times when your body is supposed to be in a parasympathetic state it's when you're sleeping and when you're eating and then when you're detoxing and so those are the areas where I immediately look to in the house especially uh, and and uh, start to prioritize okay and then also with sleep we're eight hours sitting in the same location uh, pretty much every night you know and if you travel that's that's a whole different thing but at home you're sleeping in this spot same location for eight hours every night so that alone means that whatever you're exposed to in the bedroom you're being exposed to that for eight hours that's a third of your life a third of your day and so, and it's the most, it's one of the most important times to be uh, protected from any type of stressor, whether it's a, uh, it's dirty air, uh, pollutants, you know, mold, uh, EMF, anything, you know, you have artificial light peeking in that's disrupting your melatonin while you sleep. So 
when you sleep, your body goes into this deep restorative state. Your brain actually shrinks by about 40% with this glymphatic system, and it pumps out through the cerebral spinal fluid all the oxidative stressors that melatonin uh, sweeps up. And, uh, you know, because melatonin is a potent uh, free radical scavenger. And so that pumps out the back of your, your spine and then into your circulatory system for your liver and your kidneys to kind of detox and take care of. And then your whole lymphatic system is also working at different times during the night as well. So nighttime is really our innate uh, detox, sim detoxification that happens. It's the body's chosen time to, to do all of this maintenance work, this detoxing and, and the cellular repair and everything. And so, you know, I think it's, it's kind of ironic that so, so much of the work that we do in this health field is that uh, we are uh, constantly thinking about what we eat, what we're doing during the day. And then at night, we just kind of sleep is very, you know, downplayed. And now I, I know that like your listeners, uh, you've in interviewed many people who like sleep doctors and people who have gone over this in, a, in like great depth. And, and uh, you guys may have an, more of an understanding of how important sleep is. But for me, I just kind of think of it for the average person. It's when the body is supposed to be restoring and recovering. And if we want to get healthier, we have to address sleep. There's no way around it. You have to. And so that's definitely number one priority for sure. And then where you eat, your body, in order to have all the digested juices, the hydrochloric acid, the bile, the enzymes that your pancreas produces, all that, all that stuff uh, works through the vagus nerve, which is part of the parasympathetic activation of the nervous system. And so in order to actually digest your food, you have to be in a relaxed state. So that's another area where I tell people, okay, if you are in a high EMF environment while you're eating, you're not going to digest your food as well. You have more digestive discomfort and you're not going to absorb all those, uh, the nutrient dense whole food that you're eating, the, the supplements that you're taking and everything is going to be less, uh, you know, they're going to have less quality absorption because of the stressor that your body's perceiving. It's going to prioritize dealing with that stressor rather than actually digesting that food and making that a priority. And so, with this food digestive thing, I, what we recommend people to do is, okay, eat your food at your dinner table, but and about an hour after, your, that's when your main digestion is happening. So after you eat, go into your shielded space, if you have it, or a low EMF environment, and just relax. Read a book. Just you know, let your food digest. And we've seen some amazing results with just that, just people that have digestive issues, just doing that has been, you know, amazing results with that and then the very last thing uh, that we prioritize is the the detoxification so for a long time I was looking for okay what ways does the body detox obviously at night that's that's one thing but we've already covered that but then sauna was another thing where you have the potential to be exposed to a really high level of EMF while you're supposed to be detoxing and so that was something where I was really on the lookout for uh, some some options for that, yeah, some low, it, it, low or zero EMF options. Yeah, it's not even potential. The the sad reality is that most people are using the far infrared saunas, and almost every single one of them have high electric fields. So why don't you share your story? Because there's another Brian, Brian Richards of Sauna Space, who is really the only sauna manufacturer that you ever encountered in your desire to help consult with these companies and see if you can improve the the environment they were uh, selling to people for detoxification yeah so you know it's probably about three or four years ago now i uh i was going around to all these trade shows and uh brought my meters with me my equipment so maybe it was a little intimidating some of these sauna manufacturers to have somebody coming up with all this these meters that are you know clicking around and and you can actually hear the, the little clicks and everything you know yeah and, so, and these meters aren't inexpensive what you just showed was an nfa 1000 from gigahertz solution and that thing goes for about three thousand yeah yeah i mean they're you know i've, I've got between depending on what i'm doing uh on my emf tours i have between you know Twelve to twenty thousand dollars worth of equipment that I bring with me to test people's homes because that's what's really required yeah. to to do it to the level that I really need to that needs to be done. And so uh, it's it's interesting though because 
you know, there's a lot of inexpensive meters that you can use to actually kind of do use as screening tools for, for these things. Uh, but a lot of them do give you a false sense of security if you think, okay, I'm good. And I've had many people who are uh, EMF experts where I go to their house and I test and actually pick up something that they weren't aware of surprise <laughs> because i'm picking they're like oh wow i didn't even know that was there uh you know it's like well you know and that's that's where i try to be a little bit more humble about about things too is because i realize that i have equipment and there's probably things that i'm not detecting and so when i make my recommendations i make them as if okay there are definitely you know even if i'm not detecting anything or very little uh, there's, you know, my meters are my blind spot. Like anything that my meters aren't detecting above a certain frequency range, I don't know. There's, there could be an exposure there, and so I, I have to just kind of keep that in mind. And when once I get a meter that measures something else, and I discover that, we start to measure it. And yeah, sure and, and, and a real world, a real world example for that would be 5G because that's typically operating at higher frequencies that. They have meters that test for them, but the meters are fifty or hundred thousand dollars. They're not really commercially viable at this point. So, but fortunately, we don't have a lot of five G now. But that is something that's definitely coming up, and that's going to have to be integrated into the comprehensive analysis. Yeah, and you know, I actually I, I found a, a meter that I decided to go ahead and buy that measured up to forty gigahertz okay, uh, last year, and I tested in L.A. and Dallas and Austin, Texas and where, where 5G was live, and I didn't detect many millimeter waves uh, there. I detected a little bit in, in LA, but it was very splotchy, like laser-pointed uh, frequencies that were coming in that I was detecting. And I kind of came to the conclusion, and, and I already had, had thought this because of test reports from the telecom industry that I've seen uh, uh, that uh, talk about millimeter waves, uh, that, you know what, 5G, they're all saying that they're going to put millimeter waves or maybe we're assuming in the in the you know the emf community and people that are uh you know protesting 5g we're assuming that it's going to be millimeter waves on every post but really all the plans i've seen and what i've tested it's sub six gigahertz it's going to be on every block not the millimeter waves because the millimeter waves are actually impractical uh, those are only going to be in dense urban areas and you know i've i've had this opinion for probably uh two years, uh, despite like all the other uh, stuff that you read online and in, in groups and stuff, they, they're saying, oh, millimeter waves, this and that. I'm not as much concerned about those. I still am, but I'm more concerned about the increased saturation of existing mm -hmm. 4G frequencies because those towers are going to be going closer to people's homes. So that it's going to be a, a vastly, a vast, you know, much more exposure being closer and uh, and those frequencies actually penetrate deeper and more easily through solid objects than those millimeter waves do. Well, as long as we're on the topic, why don't we skip to another question that's, uh, and I'm not sure if we have time to get to it, but it was about uh, SpaceX. Uh, Star has a Starlink program, which has, uh, I think, permission right now for 12,000 to launch 12,000 satellites and they submitted a petition for another 30,000 for a total of 42,000 satellites. They've already have, I think, four launches, just the last one being just a few days ago. Each time they launch, they put up 60 satellites, and they're, they're scheduled to go at least twice a month or so. And by the end of this year, they're projected to offer broadband within the United States. And, and I, is, I believe that's 5G, uh, but do you have any uh, special insights on the, the type of frequencies they're going to be using? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they've uh, they've allotted to to that program, but um, if it is like you know if it is millimeter waves, then you know they might be self-directed. You know, I've heard of the devices actually will kind of ping and then the satellite will send it down. I don't know that they're going to be blanketing everything. It could be that way, but I don't have enough knowledge right now to have okay, a cool. solid opinion on that. Other well, than well, we do need a shield from from that. Yes, if yes. It's going to be blasting. There's no us. question. I mean, the 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 writing is on the wall. 
there is going to, we have a lot of exposure now, but the exposure is only going to increase quite dramatically once the Starlink programs gets activated. So, and it's not like it's speculative. They've already launched nearly 200 satellites and they have permission for 42, or will have permission for 42,000. So 42,000 satellites circling the globe, which is probably going to increase at least by a factor of 10 and maybe even a hundred fold. And it's what we already have right now. Yeah, and we need it, you know, we always, you know, I, I've learned over the years that no matter what you read online, you have to be able to measure it before you can start really conjecturing on how mm -hmm. bad or it is or, or, or even if it's not, not something to worry about because, you know, sometimes the things that they tell you are to worry about are you don't have to worry about. And then the opposite is true as well. <laughs> like, oh, this is, this is not going to be an issue, but it's <laughs> being the worst thing ever. You know, the yeah. 600 megahertz from T-Mobile uh, that penetrates deeper and goes further than any of the 5G networks. And so uh, that, that's something that's going to be blanketing everybody, uh, but not as many people are concerned about that as they are about the millimeter waves. And I, I'm, a, I'm actually quite a bit concerned about this 600 megahertz because I've seen it and I've tested it yeah. in, in people's homes. Yeah, and what is that a, a 2G frequency or 3G typically or...? Well, they're considering it a 5G frequency because it's a new frequency band uh, that's opened up for uh, the use in T-Mobile's 5G network. But uh, typically, you know, 900 to 2,000 megahertz is what uh, the cell phone companies have been using. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually a lower frequency Jeez. than that. I was not aware of that. Yeah, but it penetrates uh, deeper and goes much further. That's why you can even look up on uh, your your favorite video search online and you can look up t-mobile commercial and it'll be like yeah we go you know you can be out in the middle of nowhere and you're going to get signal <laughs> and like it's a really good thing you would be like no i want to be out in the middle of nowhere so i don't have any signal and i'm not exposed to this stuff you know so uh it's it's unfortunate that it's kind of come to that but um you know it's all the more reason why we really need to pay attention to this especially in our own homes of, of yeah. uh at least well, being free of that while we're while we're at yeah, home. And, the, and the the cordless phones, which for the most part, most I, I believe we abandon for uh, typically because of the widespread use of cell phones. There's really limited need for, in most people's minds for a cordless phone. But the cordless phones were at 900 megahertz, and those cause a lot of problems. More dangerous than cell phones, I believe. Yeah. So what I found with uh, our measurements is uh, the the frequencies that are the most interactive on the human body, on the skin, actually, you know, and I, I, I can't say anything about the higher frequencies interacting with, with organs, but every single thing that's conductive has a certain resonance where it's going to tune into that or make your body resonate. Your skin is a certain resonance where anything from the FM radio station up through about 900 uh, megahertz resonates with the human body and the the skin and the conductivity that's on that's on the skin and the way you can measure that is with a meter that actually measures uh the body as an antenna and so like i'm in my shielded house so i'm pretty protected here but i've got this window up here that's uh doesn't have my shielding fabric on it right now so you can kind of hear the the frequencies a little bit with this now if i put the body antenna in and I touch the top of this, you can see how my body actually acts as an antenna here. It makes the reception stronger because I have more surface area on my entire body than what, this, what the little antennas that measure the air can pick up. And so, you know, I'm being exposed from all, around, all different directions. Actually, in my house, I'm only being exposed from this direction over here. But when I, when I use my body as an antenna, you can see the micro voltage that it creates and it, and it comes onto the body. And so we kind of put our shielding in, in, in place with that in mind, thinking about the body as an antenna. Yeah, and, you, and it's a far more sensitive test and measure of your exposure. So when you're just using a simple meter, you're going to get essentially false sense of security in many cases, and it's not going to be as sensitive as using the body as an antenna. And the yes. meter can do that, yeah. Exactly. All right. So maybe we can continue with answering that one question. So what's the strategy? So we, we the, you clearly 
uh, made it obvious that you have to address the bedroom. So maybe you can continue with addressing the bedroom, you know, on a pra pragmatic perspective, what, what needs to be done. Yeah, well, there's, there's uh, first of all, there's six different stressors that we test for when we go into a house. There's the, the wireless frequencies that everybody's really aware of. There's the elect electric fields from voltage and wiring in the walls, things that you plug in. There's magnetic fields that can occur from wiring errors, motors, things that are running in the house. Uh, outside power lines and transformers can, can penetrate into the house depending on the distance from them and how much current's flowing through them at any given time during the day. And then there's dirty electricity, which is thousands of harmonic frequencies that are riding on your electrical line that are very noxious and disruptive to the nervous system and, uh, and hormones actually. And, and then there's uh, the geopathic stress that comes up from the earth and that we test with, with some ancient methods of, of dowsing and also uh, just common sense looking at the landscape of, of the property and everything. And then uh, the sixth thing is artificial light. So we test for the color spectrum. We want to match the outside light environment with the indoor environment. And then we also test for the flicker of the lights because lights are operating on this 60 hertz pulse signal and they're turning on and off 120 times per second. And even though our brain cannot perceive that happening all the time, our, our eyes are constantly adjusting to this. And so it, it can be very straining on, on the eyes, which the eyes are connected to the hypothalamus and pituitary right into the brain. And then that goes, to, you know, that, that has an effect on, on your adrenal glands, actually, the HPA axis. And so there's actually this functional test that we, we learned in my training with the, the NTA called the pupillary reflex test. Uh, and it's a test for the adrenal glands. And so you can actually just take a little flashlight and you know, you can do this at home and by yourself in the, in, in the dark bathroom. Uh, you just put the, the flashlight over your, your pupil and you can see if your pupil constricts and how, how long it holds that constriction. If it starts to pulsate or it can't hold a constriction with that light in your eyes, you're, it's a sign of adrenal stress. And so we're starting to have people test this before and after shielding and seeing some really uh, amazing results within a short period of time. And it just shows that, uh, you know, your adrenals are actually restoring at night like that. So, um, but yeah, the, the, there's six different types of, of well, stressors. Go, well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so with the light and the flicker, I just wanted to mention that it's not all lights. It's basically digital lights with LEDs and fluorescence. So if you have any candescent, which admittedly is somewhat rare, that's not going to flicker. Right. Yeah. Actually, it, it flickers a lot less. It's still running on the 60 hertz. Okay. Um, but what we found is the lower wattage incandescent will flicker more because it doesn't get as hot. So it doesn't, uh, it cools down much, much faster when it's a lower wattage. Uh, and the unfortunate thing is that many of the fixtures we have now only go up to maybe 75 watts max. And uh, we used to have them go up to like, you know, 150, 200 watts, the, the fixtures. Um, and so we, we recommend 100, 150 watt bulbs, uh, ideally to reduce that flicker enough where we're not seeing as much of a physiological effect on people's bodies. And the nice thing about the incandescents is they also provide a more full spectrum uh, so you're getting that uh, near infrared therapy indoors, like you would outdoors, uh, a little more than you would normally if you're doing if you have like LEDs and things like that. And then there's yeah. also some uh, specific types of LED bulbs that uh, do not flicker uh, that we will that we recommend to people. And uh, that's just on a case by case basis. We have to test each kind and and see. But you can uh, I could do a little demonstration here to kind of show the the flicker effect of the, of the bulbs. So right here, this is just testing the natural sunlight that's coming in through my window. And then I've got hooked up here a little LED bulb. I'm just gonna. Your brain doesn't like that. Oh. Nervous system does not like that. I just kind of went like this when <laughs> I turned that on. So you can, you can see that that's, that's uh, the buzzing sound you hear is the, the 60 hertz going back and forth. And so when you, uh, and the thing about this bulb in particular is that it also has a high frequency response too. So I'll switch this to measuring radio frequencies. 
Is that a smart LED? A smart bulb? No. It's a it's a regular um, LED Jeez. bulb that I found that actually I, I took it from a client that we were testing their house. I was like, I need this bulb to show people that some bulbs actually will emit RF, even though they're not a smart bulb. Yeah. It's, so this this LED had that phenomena happening. And then we've also found even even fans because of arcing that happens. Mm -hmm. Some air purifiers, if they don't have metal uh, metal casing, they will be emitting radio frequencies, even if there's no Bluetooth, no Wi-Fi on it, just because the fan's spinning inside of there. And so nice. people that are really electrosensitive, that's, that's how we find out um, some of these stressors in their bedroom, their fan, their air purifier, they're doing, they're running all night long. So they get clean air, but it's got this plastic casing on it. And it's, and it's got a fan blowing all the time. And so it's actually emitting a radio frequency like a certain distance out hmm. uh, from the air purifier. And they're like, every time I'm in my bedroom, I just can't sleep. I'm turning around and everything. And finally, I found a meter that would actually measure this. And so I could tell them, well, look, you're, you actually have this radio frequency source in here. I thought I got rid of all my Wi-Fi. Well, it's not just Wi-Fi that emits radio frequencies. It's also, you know, there's there can be wiring issues in the home. There can be spinning fans or arcing you know appliances that that cause this too so we're really trying to pin down and nail everything that's a potential stressor in the bedroom and uh yeah and eventually or, we'll get to answer this person's question here but yeah I keep yeah because we only have 50 more questions and it's a half hour we haven't even finished question one i don't know the, how far we're going to get but uh but you you did teach me the ultimate light bulb would be uh 250 watt near infrared bulb actually infrared bulb because it's significant medium far for it too but from sauna space is the called the photon which is about 350 dollars that you can use as a nightlight and actually it's so good i travel with this bulb every every time i go to a hotel i travel with it. and that's the light i use before i go to bed it's the only light i have on in the hotel yeah yeah and that's that's the the company that i found that was that would actually work with me and we we worked to sh fully shield all their products from electric fields they already were very low in magnetic fields and then we also have this uh faraday sauna where we have this shielding fabric in the you know enclosed like for the whole sauna enclosure so you're fully protected from uh you know most drastic drastic reduction in the wireless frequencies that you're exposed to it's basically like having a portable shielded room yeah. and so that's that allows your body to get into a deeper parasympathetic response deeper detox and uh seeing some amazing results for people that are electrosensitive using these saunas uh because many saunas they cannot tolerate because of the emf or the off gassing or whatever everything with this sauna is done you know the way that i would want to if i was to design a sauna now uh because uh, Brian Richards was kind enough to, you know, uh, listen, listen to, to me and the concerns and he wanted to improve his company. So he's continually doing that. And um, I appreciate the, you know, that there's, you know, there's, there's more and more companies that are kind of starting to get this idea. And, and that's part of what I'm starting to do now is uh, especially these companies in the health and wellness industry, they're approaching me and saying, I want to EMF proof my product now. Mm -hmm. um, how, how can we do that? You know? So, uh, and I, and I look forward to the day when I'm like, I don't have to do this anymore because now it's standard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're moving there and you're helping catalyze that, that movement. So let's continue with the bedroom. So, um, you know, we, you're looking at the light and you, the six types of fields, which are really important. We'll probably go into that. Cause I mean, we could probably spend the rest of the time just talking about this because measuring the fields are huge. Um, and, uh, you know, the magnet and well, just, just continue with their process. Cause what's, what's the step after you've, you've assessed those six different fields with your meter. Yes. So we'll, we'll come into the house and, you know, it usually takes about three to four hours for me or my team to uh, do the full assessment of the house. And, you know, it depends on the size of the house, number of bedrooms you want checked. We really focus in on the bedrooms as the number one priority. And, uh, and we build a full protocol for the house, just like we would for a human being. And, and we leave the person with that protocol and then help them guide them through the whole process. So we're looking at electric fields. There's, you know, and during the assessment, you'll find, we find things that we can just 
unplug or switch out or move away from the bed or the, or different areas and say, okay, we didn't even know this was emitting Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, but now we do know. So a lot of the assessment is hunting down Wi-Fi sources, telling people how to uh, like, don't leave your printer plugged in and turned on because it's always emitting Wi-Fi and you only use your printer, what, once a week? So, uh, you know, that's, there's some really easy things like that. And then Apple TVs, uh, you know, all the different types of Wi-Fi smart TVs, uh, you know, even remotes from, from the Roku, sometimes we'll have Wi-Fi built into them that are constantly emitting. So there's all kinds of things that we're, we test for. And basically, it, it's kind of like we're counter surveillance people. If, if there is a bug in your house, we're going to find it. And, and uh, you know, we're testing and sweeping the entire house for all these different frequencies and then uh, the wireless frequencies. And then the electric fields, we want your body to be at uh, – on our, on our equipment below 30 millivolts uh, because our, our equipment is actually so sensitive it'll pick up even static electricity as, as alternating current. So uh, on a regular multimeter. And, and, and just so the, that sounds confusing, but essentially you actually have to place the probe on your skin. And if you move the probe, you're creating static electricity, which will be read as current and it's not. It's just a false, false negative reading. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, you know, on a regular multimeter, we're looking for 10 millivolts. And this, these, this voltage just comes from the wiring in your walls. There's no wiring issues, no wiring error uh, necessarily because of the voltage. It's just how homes are built today, not with health in mind. And yeah. so you, if I, let me just give another tangent. So 30 millivolts below 30, actually my bedroom now is down to, I haven't told you yet once since we did the floor, it was 0, 0.0 now, oh, zero, awesome. zero millivolts. So, but when you first came to my house a few years ago and you measured the infrared, far infrared sauna I was using, it was 60,000 millivolts, 60,000. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> and at that point, that was the highest I'd ever tested. And, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a little bit of shame in your face that I saw. <laughs> like, oh my but gosh, I can't believe more, it. It was more than a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, 65 or 60,000 uh, millivolts. Yeah, it's a lot. That's 60 volts, you know. Yeah. So uh, even a, even an electrician would, would look at that number and think that's yeah. way too high. And, and I don't... that sauna was advertised as low EMF, by the way, folks. Low yeah. EMF. Yeah. So Which you is can't... typical. That's what they do. They say it's low EMF and they, they, they just don't. I, I don't. They just never did the testing. So in some ways they're lying by omission because they never did the full testing. It's easy to measure. Yeah, well, honestly, I think a lot of them just, um, you know, they, they hire an expert to, to test their sauna and the expert doesn't test all the different types of electromagnetic frequencies and fields. So they're usually talking about magnetic fields being right. lower, but even the magnetic fields on many of these saunas that are, you know, they're way lower than the, you know, the United States government standards, but for my standards, I want the body to be in a parasympathetic state when you're in your sauna. So it has to be even lower than that. Um, you know, we're looking at 0.3 milligauss or less in, in the sauna. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. If you can't get that wherever your body is, then, then it's, it's not good enough in, in my standpoint. So there's very few companies that are even looking at that and, and trying to get that low. They think one milligauss is really, really good. Um, and it's better than 30 or 50 that are in some of the really high EMF ones, but it's still, you know, I still want, you know, we want the best. If we're going to have a product that's advertised as being healthy and you're supposed to use it to, to boost your health, uh, go all out, do it the right way, you know? Yeah. So there are different ways to lower these uh, electric fields. Uh, if you live in a commercial building, it's not as much of an issue like a condo or hotel, because the, usually the, by code, most municipalities require the electrical wire to be in a physical metal conduit, which essentially eliminates the electric fields and they're behind the walls. But if you're in a residential, there's very few residential communities that have the that encode. I mean, you could build a house and put it in conduit. No, there's no law against it. It's actually safer, but very few people do it because of the cost. Uh, so then you could turn off the electricity. So talk about that, but in talk also about turning it off doesn't solve the problem like it did in my house. Yes, it lowers it, but it was still electric current in there that actually came in through the floor. Yeah. 
So early on, I was, you know, testing breakers in people's houses and so that they could shut off some power in their, in their, uh, in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And that's a really easy and inexpensive solution. But then I realized, you know, there's kind of a little bit of a liability with that, having people go to their breaker box and, and flip them on and off all the time. And so there's some products out there where you can actually press a button and turn them off. That works good for that. But ultimately, uh, in my experience, everybody needs the RF shielding, the, the wireless protection. And our solution for that is to full either have a canopy over the bed that's a, that's a conductive fabric that you can ground so that the electric fields can't get in. And then you have to have something on the floor as well. Or the ultimate solution is really to paint the bedroom with this uh, special shielding paint and, and then it's grounded as well. And so there, even if the breakers are on, the, the power is on, you are not getting electric fields coming in. And then we have to do the floor as well. Well, uh, let, me, let me just refine that because if you have an electric cord that's not grounded into the wall, then the electric field will come in. So it's not coming out until you put, plug something in. Uh, plug an unshielded cord into the wall. Right, yeah. So any, you know, when you have the, the paint on as long as you don't have anything plugged in you're you you've got uh, protection from the electricity that's behind the walls uh, as soon as you plug something in that doesn't have a shielded cord it does bring that voltage in and it will raise up your body voltage so but in a typical scenario a person's uh in their bedroom their their millivoltage could be anywhere from 500 millivolts at the lowest probably the lowest i've, I've seen in a typical house up to 10,000, 15,000 millivolts on, on their body all night long while you're sleeping. Oh. You've got this <laughs> contraction of your muscles happening. You just think about the way that electricity impacts the body. How do we restart a heart? We pump voltage into it. It makes your heart muscle contract. The little electrodes that you can put on, on, your, on your muscles to, to make involuntary muscle contraction happen, uh, it, it causes, you know, calcium causes the muscle to contract. Magnesium helps it to relax. And I think, you know, I'd, there's some studies that actually show this too, but I think that one of the reasons that we're so magnesium deficient in our modern culture is because we've got this constant exposure to this alternating current that's got these micro contractions happening all night long, all day long in some instances with our, with our muscles. And it's make, depleting us of our magnesium, which is trying to relax our muscles. So we've got this constant tension that's going on all the time. And if you have that at night while you're sleeping, your body can never really get into that full parasympathetic state so that you can actually do the healing and restoration that you need because your body is so tensed up, your cortisol is going up, your melatonin is going down, and you're not getting that restorative detoxification of the brain and all the lymphatics detoxing optimally. You'll get a little bit and a lot of people will be like, oh, I sleep great. Sleeping great is not a sign necessarily that your body is actually restoring itself. It's just a sign that, you know, people that have sleep apnea say they sleep great, you know, and, and, but they have this oxygen issue and, and, and airway issue. And so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, uh, factors that go into this. And, and I've had many people that track it with their aura ring uh, before and after shielding. And I, you know, I just get really, really excited about the new different ways that we can, we can track the before and after effect of, of, of all these things with the, the shielding that we do because it's, it's kind of a new thing and not many people are tracking it from this, this health perspective. Yeah, so let me share my personal experience uh, because my first go around at shielding my bedroom, I painted the walls and at least most of the walls, I have a closet that goes off that I decided not to because it was had a built-in closet and it would just been a mess to take all the, the built-in closet out and apart and then I had built-in cabinetry that it, one set of them on the upper and lower that I let didn't paint behind either so and I didn't do the floor because that would involve tearing up the floor and replacing it putting shielding in and then putting a new floor in so then you sent me a video just showing the difference between not shielding the floor and shielding the floor and this is on ground level it's not a second floor this is ground level concrete slab and it was massive it was massive once you did that so I so I made the commitment and you know, made the investment and get hired the contractor to come in and purchase the materials. And he did it and, you know, pulled out the, pulled out the wall, all the cabinets, repainted them, repainted it and pulled up the floor and put the shielding material on, put the new floor on. And, and that's when I was able to get the, uh, 
the R the electrical fields down to zero millivolts. I mean, you know, under five for sure. Maybe it goes over two or three, you know, it's just, but it's pretty low. You know, it's definitely under 30. So, and my, so my sleep as per aura, you know, my deep sleep is most individuals as they age tend to be. We made, you know, this is what the observation is that, d- that deep sleep tends to disappear as you get older. But this may be an artifact because for the last, of, of simple exposure to electrical fields because the last 200 years we've been ex- or 230 we've been exposed to them and that's probably what happens to the ind- individual as he ages that your ability to, to, to tolerate this exposure decreases and, it's, and it messes up your deep sleep but i mean the first night i did i think well i was traveling so i i had i think i went to bed at three or four o'clock which is normally when i'm getting up uh but i had i slept for five hours th- two hours two hours was deep sleep and an hour was rem so like three, you know, 60% of the sleep was either deep or REM, and, which is pretty crazy good. And now, and now as I'm getting over an hour every night of deep sleep, or before many nights it would just get just a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's incredible. And there's, you know, there's others that have, that have the aura ring, and it's such a valuable tool to be able to track your sleep that way. And uh, it's, you know, there probably the, the coolest story that I have uh, that's more recent is a a colleague of mine that did some shielding and she had, um, you know, the first two nights that she was in her shielded room, she, she really felt like, uh, you know, her heart was racing, her temperature was going up. She was having all these hyperthyroid symptoms and she got to thinking, why am I having hyperthyroid symptoms? I'm actually, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be hypothyroid. And then she realized she was still taking her thyroid glandular. Oh. So she, she got rid of that and then she slept better than she had in years. You know, and she'd been on that thyroid glandular for what I think she told me the better part of a year. Uh, wow. and, and she didn't need it anymore. After one night in a shielded room, she didn't need that anymore. Uh, her dosage completely changed. So, you know, but it makes sense when you think about the way the thyroid gland works, it's, uh, it's upregulating your metabolism to deal with, with some kind of stressor or something. Yeah. And so when you, when you don't have that stressor anymore, you don't need that upregulation and any upregulation that you have artificially inputting like a, like your thyroid medication or your thyroid glandular, it's just too much. You don't need that anymore. You don't need yeah. that kind of support. I agree. So let's get down to the practicalities. You've broadly described the process. Can you get, give a general range of the cost to shield a room like you described? And then we'll, dis- we'll discuss some less expensive options. Yeah, so generally, you know, when we do these assessments, we come in for three to four hours, and then uh, we have a, you know, I have a whole team of, of people that, you know, I'm an assistant that kind of helps to guide our customers through the process as well. But we, we look over everything together. So even if I have another person on my team do the assessment, I'm st- my eyes are still looking at every single assessment that comes through Shielded Healing. And we talk about uh, if the recommendations and, are and good. Shielded, shieldedhealing.com is the name of your company and website. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So we, we look through everything as a team and make sure that the protocol is what it should be. And uh, it represents about usually about 10 hours of work for each assessment to make sure the protocol is, is right, including the assessment itself. And then uh, we actually have a free retest. So when we come back in the area, after the solutions are in place, we, we uh, retest everything for free. So that whole process uh, starts off at about $1,000 for like a studio apartment and then you know, we had a hundred dollars per bedroom and per 1000 square well, foot. Well, that's the cost for the assessment. I was curious yeah. as the cost for the remediation, which you don't do. You let, let you give it up to them. And usually they're, it's in consultation with the con- local contractor. So you don't do remediation uh, or shielding. You, they have to do that themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. We guide their uh, contractors through the process or some people want to do it themselves to save some money. So, uh, you know, but we, but we guide people through the entire process themselves. Now, just for the materials, we're talking about for a typical 12 by 12 bedroom, anywhere, it kind of depends on the windows too, because you have to put shielding material over the windows as well. And so if you have huge windows, it's gonna cost more. But uh, for a typical room, just for the painting and the grounding and the fleece and everything, you're looking at about about $1,000 to $1,500, depending on your window situation. And, you just think about that in terms of 
That, that's just material cost. That's, that's not just material cost. cost. And then, then the painting and, and everything is, you know, is, is added on to that. And uh, it's a, you know, the thing I tell people is this is a permanent solution, something that you're going to be doing every night. You don't have to even think about it. You know, a lot of people can't get in their sauna every day. They can't do their hyperbaric oxygen therapy every day uh, because it takes time. But yeah. Everybody has to sleep. So every night you're going to get that eight hours of, of, of therapy that you don't even really have to think about. And yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's a no-brainer for, for, uh, for that reason and, and for kids who you don't have to convince. I, I think for many people, well, maybe not many, but certainly a significant number, it's going to be even over $10,000 if you have a big bedroom. There's just no, that's just the cost with the assessment, the materials, the labor, you know, ripping up the floor, putting a new floor down. I mean, just the material cost for mine was probably three or four thousand just for materials. So uh, that's costly, and you know, it's a lot. Not many people won't be able to afford that, but they're still going to need a solution. And you know, and what I put together uh, with your help, your incredible help, uh, you know, I was an EMF shielded sleeping tent, which is sort of the really least expensive approach that you can use. Now there are existing alternative approaches like canopies, EMF shielding canopies that you can put over your bed. But the mistake that most people make, they live on the first floor, have a, have a, uh, a concrete slab, and they think they don't need a base for that, but that's just incorrect. So those, those canopies go for probably, you're looking at $2,000, especially if you do the floor. And then I don't know, what's your experience that people have of? Because, you know, I, I, do they shield really well or are there leaks in there where they gets in and are, are able to get the, the electrical field levels really low? Well, what, what I found when I first started uh, looking at all the products um, is that, and I've seen, you know, I've been aware of EMF for probably, uh, you know, 10, 10 to 12 years. Like basically when I st first started to get into the health related uh, field as a practitioner and I realized after I started to really get into the EMF side of things that the same solutions that were, you know, were there 10 or 15 years ago are still there today. And there wasn't any real upgrades. Whereas our technology has been upgraded more and more every single year, like every two years, your phones every year, obsolete. basically your phone obsolete. is obsolete. Yeah. And uh, so like the, the shielding uh, is important to upgrade as well. So I'm always on the lookout for new shielding materials and, and we've come across this, uh, you know, I, I had everything that was existing that was the, the highest end quality products that's hypoallergenic third party tested uh, sometime about a year and a half ago. And then we sourced our own uh, shielding fabric that's uh, a conductive cotton uh, material. And, uh, and the issue with a lot of the materials that were on the market is they couldn't be grounded or if they could be grounded, they were they were easily flaking off, uh, you know, metallic particles, which you don't want. And so we source something that could, you know, that doesn't do that. And then it also can be grounded and it's, it's got a luxurious feel to it. And it's, you know, it's hypoallergenic and ma makes all the marks that I want as a holistic health practitioner. So we sourced that and now we've been using that with people. And with that, we can get the levels of the electric fields down to where we like to see them. Um, but the conventional, traditional, uh, I think grayish type uh, silver fabric that's used, quite costly, by the way. Uh, that's why these things cost a thousand or two thousand dollars for your canopies. But those don't work as well. At least in, when you've measured them, they're not. You're not getting electrical fields down. Well, there's there's some that work really really well, but um, we've had we had complaints with uh, the smell, the discoloration that happens with the silver. It kind of oxidizes, and uh, doesn't look pretty you know some people want something beautiful in their bedroom they don't want to have to feel like there's some weirdo so like putting aluminum foil up up everywhere which uh you know there's a little bit of an issue with with putting foil up in, in hard metals because they actually do reflect more instead of absorbing more like a like a paint would but the the materials that we're using um for the fabric it's it's a silver silver is kind of more of a soft metal and uh and so it has a little bit more absorptive quality, but you, you really want the canopy to be a certain size in order to, uh, you know, make it more comfortable for the, for a person who wants it around their whole bed, you know? So we, you know, we took a lot of that stuff into account when we were sourcing, sourcing the material and, 
we found something that we like. And there's other materials I like too that are that are out there. Uh, but you know, the idea that we we you know every person needs to have something uh, that they they can uh, afford to put in their in their bedroom. And uh, I really think that this travel canopy, this travel tent that uh, that you, your team has been working on is really uh, a good option for many people who like, I just need something right away right now. Or if you're traveling, I know I'm going to have my whole team uh, be using, using those on the road as well. And uh, you know, I've obviously tested it extensively and mm -hmm. it is going to be like the best thing out there as far as a uh, personal uh, EMF protection travel device for yeah, sure. We hope that the test, the tent will retail for under $500 is our, is our hope. I'm not sure what the final costs are, but we've had a lot of revisions thanks to you because, you know, and th there's a, there are other tents that go over beds, you know, uh, that you can use that are advertised even on eBay, but they have zippers and the zipper is the problem point because that's where the leaks come in. And we had to come up with some innovative solution, which is still needs a little revision, but you've got to put shielding on either side of the zipper. Otherwise it's going to leak right through the zipper. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, this whole shielding thing, like it's, you know, you could like, there's many videos online where you can try to do it yourself, but it is very complicated. Um, we don't, we, we don't know unless we test a space how we're going to actually implement the shielding because we need to know where the frequencies are coming from, what frequencies they are. And then when we come back and retest, we make some minor revisions or suggestions on how we can orient things in the room to make it so the bedroom's optimal. And we just, you just have to do that, you know, with a, with a product, you can rule all that out because you have control over the whole enclosure. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did with, that's what I did when I was consulting with sauna space and with you guys is, you know, we have control over the enclosure so we can rule out any of the leakage points if we want to. And, uh, and that's very, very important. And you have to have the right equipment to be able to test it and the know-how of how to do it. And I've come up with some pretty innovative ways to be able to test that when on the go and, and everything. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, something where it, it does require quite a bit of knowledge to be able yeah, to do it the right I'll, way. You can probably address this now. And you use a lot of meters. You mentioned you have like $20,000 of equipment that you bring with you or more on a job site. But the ultimate meter, especially with many of your clients who are EMF hypersensitive, is the human body, you know, a sensitized human body. I mean, they, were, they are better than any meter, right? So why don't you talk about that and how that, that aspect of human biology has really been a mentor for you? Oh, yeah. So some of the people, you know, the, the, most, the people that I learned the most from are the people that are really sensitive to these frequencies. And for, for a while, you know, I would be going to people's houses who tell me, Hey, I'm electrosensitive or I suffer from microwave sickness. And, uh, I would test their house with my basic equipment in the beginning and be like, you know what? I'm not getting anything. I believe you, but I, I need to figure this out, you know? And so I'd, I'd ask, can I borrow this thing that's bothering you and run some more tests on it? And then I would do that. And, and then, uh, I eventually find equipment, that's picking something up that's that where this it's unique to that product that they were using. And I can go back to them and say, okay, look, you're not crazy. This was emitting this type of frequency. And, and I think this is why you're reacting to it. And then I try to figure out, you know, sometimes I'll figure out a way to fix it. Sometimes you can't fix it just depends. And, uh, and then they're, they're like, yeah, it's a lot better now or no, it's still, it's still emitting something or I'm still detecting something. But a lot of times you can't, pick these things up until you're in an EMF free environment because you have so much noise. There's so much of a noise floor that you, you just won't pick it up on, on uh, traditional equipment or, or even uh, equipment that's traditionally used for building biology. You have to get some, some different, you have to get more creative and, and come up with different yeah, ways yeah. to test these things.